You're listening to Integration Redesigned, the podcast that unpacks ideas, trends, and topics that directly impact developers and tech professionals. Join us as we learn from experts who are innovating and developing emerging tech with the world's leading brands. Well, welcome back, everyone. My name is Kate Port, and I am the host for the podcast Integration Redesigned, presented by Digibee. Thank you all for joining me today. I am very excited because I have a special guest here today, Chris, who him and I used to work together many moons ago. Um, but Chris, your career speaks for itself. I'm excited to have you here today to talk about a number of things, but I'll let you uh, give a quick intro about your background, what you're doing, and uh, what, you're, what we're going to talk about today. Um, thanks, Kate. Um, <clears throat> I will start off with, I think one of the highlights, uh, of my career was actually the time that we worked together. It was incredibly passionate and, um, uh, the commitment that everybody around us had was, um, impressive, I guess is what I would say. Um, for myself, uh, I'm an engineering leader. Um, I've been working in e-commerce for, I'd say the last third of my career. So the last, I'm going to say you know, six, seven years. Prior to that, uh, it's been a, quite a spectrum of uh, different um, <clears throat> areas, everything from DOD to content management to pure research. But uh, today, I think if I had to put a banner on myself, I'd say I'm, um, I'm an e-commerce engineering leader. Love that. So much important work being done in e-commerce. We're not, we're certainly not, you know, saving lives, but we're saving the world no. one consumer at a time, right? Yes. Um, well, I agree. I think when we, you know, building a company from the ground up, which I think was where we played together, um, was really exciting. And that passion was really fun. And I think we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But let's jump in and talk about, you know, you've worked at Really large organizations. Uh, we've got we've got GoDaddy on there, Chewy. Uh, we've got um, GameStop, and you've had to do and tackle a number of projects, right? And it, that's if we look at that sort of back third of your career, like you referenced. It's so interesting because when you talk to big box either retailers or e-commerce providers, they're always challenged with this interesting dichotomy of new technologies that are coming out in the market and existing infrastructure that was put in place years ago or was replicated from another successful business, or maybe there was some sort of acquisition that happened. But either way, you're dealing with this concept that we've been talking about of either legacy migration or digital transformation. When we caught up, you referenced a project that you worked on around legacy migration. Can you talk a little bit about that project just so we can sort of set a baseline? Sure. Um, so I stepped into a um, an environment where, as you'll find in a lot of these, <clears throat> what I'm going to say, older generation e-commerce um, stacks, it was a giant monolith. Um, and I've run into this now, I'm going to say three times in the last three rolls. Um, <clears throat> and it's a it's really a, a, a dance um, of how do you maintain business continuity at the same time making um, the improvements for the future right and um, what we were focused on was pulling out specific pieces of the e-commerce funnel specifically this last project was uh, catalog uh, so product offering pricing and promotions um, and really getting those systems stood up so that 
um, you weren't tied to just poor business processes in that monolith. Um, it was a big project um, with a very aggressive timeline. And um, that in itself brings all kinds of um, decision making that everybody can question. Um, and one of the things that I um, that I think when I look back on the relative success of this project was um, it really wasn't set up for success in a way where you had a holistic view of everything. And to me, that was the biggest uh, downfall of how efficient this actually was done. But um, for my part, uh, the pieces that I actually were able to pull out and, and um, maintain the continuity of the business while we're producing you know, nice, clean systems um, was successful. But I think when you look at overall the breaking down of this monolith, when you don't have an owner, somebody who actually has that full architecture vision of um, how data flows, how the services should be organized, um, you know, when to do this decoupling, when to do that decoupling, um, you run into a lot of answering the same questions over and over. You run into, uh, you know, we thought we had a solution there. We don't have a solution there. Um, and to me, if I had to <clears throat> start that over, um, I would have injected myself a little bit um, further uh, upstream during the design phase um, and ensured that we had um, a real blueprint for the dismantling of this thing. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. So uh, you know we, we we talked a little bit about that earlier. But one of the things you said was interesting, right? So you and I, when we worked together, I was on the product side, your you know engineering side, and somewhat e-commerce, right? But there was a lot of technology we were building, but there was a threat of e-commerce and. At no, the I mean, time, I don't mean to interrupt, but I would I would definitely say it was e-commerce. I mean, I, I think you know when you look at e-commerce today, you know people think massive scale, mm -hmm. but I think absolutely what you and I were doing was was e-commerce. Yeah. So here I am on the product side saying, hey, here's what we need. Right? We need inventory information. We need valuation. I mean, there's a whole bunch of detail there, but. I was a little siloed on the product side, right? So this is my own personal experience saying, here's what I need from a business perspective or from the consumer or from the target. And that problem was then given to engineering. And as a small business, we were able to move a lot more quickly than I think you and I have seen in our past on bigger companies where maybe you were dealing with, well, yeah, I would love to get you that data, that real-time inventory, drop ship ability, all the things that continue to develop in technology. Um, and there's so much com complexity that's brought with that. So in this project for this legacy migration that you were trying to do, it was one aspect of business bringing together what we were trying to do and accomplish. But the other aspect of that was building a technology infrastructure that the team wanted to work on and could work on. So was there anything there that you thought, oh, you know, if we pull on that thread of things that you would do differently or that you realized through the project, Keep that thread and that thought process going around why and what what that would have helped with. So I I'll take I take a step back and I would say that um, my working relationship with you as a product person was very tight. 
And I think that our communication and our rapport um, was at a depth where w- w- I think you and I could negotiate, right? And that's not always the case. And I think, right. So us having a business relationship, an understanding of exactly sort of the same terms of what we want to accomplish and the measurement of the, that success, um, I think is critical when you start that type of project. If that's not in place, it's a whole different ball game, is what I would say. And what you, I feel you end up doing is looking at the legacy system as sort of your definition of functional delivery and really just trying to package, um, you know, the same offering, different pieces put into that, you know, in terms of technology, but you want to just stay with the same offering. And that doesn't always give you the um, the most natural approach to dismantling and building a new environment, right? Having that product, um, that product relationship, a deep product relationship where you're both speaking the same terms, I think is critical um, to actually having a, a more efficient implementation to moving from a legacy system to a new platform. Um, yeah, I, to me, that that was in, again, retrospect, uh, that's what was missing really with um, this le- last project. Um, you didn't really have that strong product um, leadership, which I know you are a very strong product manager, uh, product leader. I mean, um, you're, you know, you're willing to tell people this is the line. We can't, we are not going to concede on this piece of functionality for the initial offering. Um, here's the ROI as to why we want this initial offering out there. Um, when that's not in place, you don't have the relationships stood up. You don't have the data stood up to actually make, um, you know, the most efficient delivery is what I would say. Um, I'm not sure if I answered that. Fully. Yeah, no, I, I think it was helpful. Right. And again, I think it's all about this working relationship because you're you're everyone's trying to solve the same problem. Right. To build ultimately the best consumer experience for whoever that consumer might be, whether it is at a retail consumer or something different. And I think one of the things that. I certainly overextended to try to figure out, but I think is a good tidbit or takeaway is technology is considered legacy today, right? If it, <laughs> you can, you could argue that a, te- a technology that you buy today is, is going to be obsolete when the next thing comes out. So having a team and on top of that, you look at the economic situation that we're in where you don't have employees that are staying somewhere for five, 10, 15, 20 years. So that knowledge gets lost. So you have this combination of new technologies on the market every day and a, a, a rotation of employees. And so knowing or some in some way documenting, here's the data that we have available and here's the flow is something that I think is an opportunity where product and engineering can come together to say, here's what we need this data for. And here's how we can get that data out so that you can utilize it. Oh, and by the way, this may make it easier for me to do my job engineer in the future, right? So when you think about that ideal architect that's doing that, if you were giving someone advice on where to start, or if you get that project 
uh, at another company or, or your next opportunity or even, you know, now, what do you say is the advice? Um, <clears throat> what is the advice? Um, the diligence phase of what, I guess, what I like to start with is the ideal. This is what we want as a product offering. And, and regardless of the technology, regardless of, um, you know, where we are today, this is where I want to be 18 months from now in terms of a functional offering to our product, uh, to our customer base, right? If we have that vision, it's a lot. That's a lot to start with. And that puts, you know, engineering on a path where we can make rational decisions about how do we cut things up? How do, what technology do we actually pull into, you know, in and out? Um, to me, having that vision is critical. Um, most product organizations have a sense, right? You have a, you know, you have a roadmap that stood up. Maybe you've got one year out, maybe you've got two years out, maybe you've got something on the, on the wall three years out. Um, but that vision is critical and that starts the conversations um, for me as to how do I approach anything. Um, once we have that, I can sort of take the, what is the legacy blueprint of how things work, um, really pull out what's important towards that vision. And then we can make um, the decisions around, okay, this is a piece that we want to prioritize. This is a piece we don't want to prioritize. Um, start to documenting around those pieces, those subsystems. Um, but I, I think it starts with the vision and then you start to break down the priorities as to how do you accomplish that vision. Um, and then you put it on me as a techno uh, technology leader to say, hey, you know, how do these pieces fit together? I lay those out for you and you can be like, no, I want it all, which you always say. And then, and then I'm like, well, we only have so many people and this is the timeline. Um, no, that's the dance, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's it's an oversimplification. And as you're talking, I'm thinking of examples, but hey, we want to go from New York to California. This is how we can get there. We've got three options, right? So how can we set the stage that says we've got to get there in this amount of time, right? And and here are the things that are non-negotiable. And of course, you can take this in a million directions. I get car sick. I don't like airplanes, but right. But it's the same concept. So I think that too often... And we've talked about this on the podcast before in other episodes, but we think about figuring out how to organize our company around a technology as opposed to saying, let's get a technology that works for what we're trying to do. And I think that, in, you know, all of this ounce of pound, ounce of preparation is worth, you know, a, a pound in, in the end is important to think about because if we step back and say, OK, what is that vision? That's a good starting point. Where you can then say, okay, what are the what are the problems we're solving? What are the ones that are critical? What are the non-negotiable ones? And then layer on, this is the technology that can help empower us to do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to use like a um, a camera analogy, where um, you you date the camera body, but you marry the lens. And to me, the vision is you know you marry the vision, and you date the technology. So. The, you know, the technology is moving you down the down the road, but you, it, it can't hold you hostage is what I think. And I think a good, you know, ideally when you're building from scratch, you know, you've got a lot more flexibility, right? Where you can build in, um, you can really build in the, um, uh, it sounds very 
um, naive, but the interfaces around your vision, like sort of pieces of your vision, um, you can do that cleanly. When you have a legacy application that you're trying to fit into that vision, um, it's a different ballgame. It's a little bit of a, um, that's where maybe technology has you hostage a little bit. But for me, um, like I said, you marry the vision and you date the technology. And um, uh, so I, I, I wouldn't be held hostage. So if, you know, I, you are telling me we need to get from New York to California and we you get car sick, but it takes you six hours to get car sick, right? So like you've got data to drive me in a direction where I can work with that, right? If, I'm, if it's greenfield development, it's one thing. If that's legacy information, um, it's another. Um, but that, I guess... That's my two cents on like not letting technology um, really hold you hostage. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, we don't want it to completely get in the way, but I, yeah. I like that analogy. I mean, like as a product leader, you should be like, you, I, I think, and, and I've worked with some strong product leaders, as I think, you know. Yes. Um, yes. People that um, I think would uh, really um, not concede on anything. And I, yeah, right? there's certainly the school of thought that's, you know, we're at the opposite ends of the spectrum and yeah. I'm going to win. Right. Yeah. So that I think as much as it is hard in terms of working relationship on day to day, it gets you to the right place, right? You don't give a crap about what front end language I'm doing something in. Right. Um, but as long as the customer experience is your vision, um, that's what's important, and that's what I and I think that's I think that's always the approach is what I'd say. We've talked a lot about the impact of working relationships and and motivation, and and we've had separate conversations on culture and you know ideal working environment, right? I mean we've. We've had some really good conversations in the past about that. And one of the things that came up recently was the concept of finding passion. And you brought this up earlier in the in the call, which was, you know, having a passionate team makes all the difference. What do you mean by that? I mean, talk a little bit about because I, I if I look back at our time together and in trying to replicate since, it's absolutely correct in that you have this small group of people who are trying to do the same thing and we're all rowing in the same direction. Is that passion for you? Is there other aspects of it? Uh, I, I, I don't think that that is, um, I don't think that summarizes passion. I think your analogy of everybody rowing in the same direction is part of it, but that also speaks to um, the leadership that's sort of um, at the front of the boat there, right? And um, making sure that everybody who's on the team knows the direction you're going, right? Understands their worth, understands their impact. I mean, there's so much that goes into this um, around building a culture and um, um, having leadership that's capable of critical conversations and letting people know what their worth is. Um, advocating for them. Um, there's a lot that goes into it um, to build passion. A lot of it is also trust building. Um, uh, it, it is very difficult to step into an organization and immediately have the trust of everybody that you're that you're leading. 
Um, it takes time. Um, it takes, I think, today, it takes being vulnerable. One of the things that I prided myself on is not having uh, the attrition rate that a lot of engineering organizations have had. And it's been, um, I've been dedicated to that. Just like you called out, it's difficult when you start getting generational engineering, building things, the onion gets very complicated as the more layers that get out there. Um, I've been very focused on that stability um, as a leader. Um, and it's investing into the culture to make sure that people know their worth, making sure that they have a path uh, making sure that they have input, that they're heard. Um, there's there's so much that goes into it. Also, like keeping them challenged. Like nobody wants to show up and just be pushing the same button every day, right? Um, and as a leader, like in today's day and age, with how competitive the market is, you've that has got to be, to me, 20% of my time, 30% of my time per week, I'm focused on making sure that my engineering staff both the leaders that I lead and the engineers, um, that they are engaged. And whether that's <clears throat> ensuring that our culture is, is um, it, it, you know, benefiting everybody, it's symbiotic. You know, they're investing in us as much as we're investing in them. Um, it's making sure that I'm available. Um, it's it's often a double-edged sword, but I, um, I, I like to give everyone in my organization the ability to ask any question they want as difficult or as pointed as it is. Um, I think it's important. And uh, to me, that's how I have approached passion and engagement uh, as a leader. I think it's so important. And we talk about it at DigiB, trust, transparency, communication. Those are all elements which allow people to feel like what they're doing matters and that they're having an impact. And so I certainly felt that when we work together and I know that that's replicated. And I think that when, you know, this is certainly not the topic of du jour, I guess, but uh, when you're looking for that opportunity, those are things that you can look for in that process. And I think we all want to be part of teams that are building something greater than just, oh yeah, we're going to do a digital transformation at this company. Well, okay, but who's the leader, right? Who, who's who's in charge of that? What am I, what are we excited about? Are we on the same page? You know, are we able to ask the hard questions regardless of where they come from? So I, I love all that. Yeah. I, I would say the one component that's also critical to this. So like, that's just sort of the engine, I think, in terms of engineering. But um, product bringing to the table um, the customer needs and really personifying or uh, like creating that persona so that the engineering side really has empathy for the customer puts that person in the car. So you've built the car with the engineers and now you've got sort of the customers driving it. And I think when you marry those two things, you really have that passion in the environment and you end up with better product, more engagement, right? Yeah. I, I, God, we could talk about, that's like, I feel like we have to have a part two to talk about all the impacts <laughs> of having the customer in the room. But Chris, yeah. thank you so much for the time today. Um, it's been, you know, great connecting with you and, and talking about how to do this technology migration, but also thinking about the people behind it. So yeah. always good to talk to you and thank you for joining us. Right on, I appreciate it. And we'll, we'll sure to be in touch too. Thank you everyone for joining. 
You've been listening to Integration Redesigned. To learn more about how DigiB can help your team connect and integrate systems at scale, visit digib.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.